This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. When you when you go through the teachings of Jesus Christ, it's so interesting, um, a lot of times, uh, because of our background, regardless of where you're from in the country, and if you were raised in church, you've been, whether you know it or not, indoctrinated by a certain systematic theology. And I'm not saying systematic theology is evil or wrong. I'm just trying to say that we haven't, to this date, found one systematic theology that is complete, that is completely able to cover every single question. There are always little issues that pop up all the time that slowly start to unravel some of our systematic theology. I'm not opposed to systematic theology. I believe we need systematic theology. It helps us grasp and understand what it is God is trying to do. It helps frame our worldview. I'm a big Francis Schaeffer fan, and he, in his uh, book, The God Who Was There, went through a really stark and stunning, in a sense, expose um, summary of how philosophy over the course of uh, history, starting with the Romans, has shifted time and time again. Because when you start to put together your whole perspective, or they call it a worldview, when you try to do that, you find out there are some missing pieces. And the problem was because we scholars didn't have all the pieces, we scrapped entire systems and, ke- and we kept starting over. And we did that and all the way until the time we called the Enlightenment and we scrapped that again and we did it during modern times and we scrapped that and now we're considered in postmodern times. It's a complete ideology, it's a complete system, it's a complete way of viewing life. And we've even scrapped postmodernism. We're now in a time of what you would call it a functional reality. It's whatever works, uh, you do it. Really pragmatic. And in this day and age, it's not necessarily ideals that are supposed to carry us. It's, it's the need, regardless of what it is, regardless of what it takes to, in a sense, make that need happen. We, we do it. I don't think this will be the last worldview that is, uh, in a sense, developed. I do believe this will be destroyed and something else will come to, up. But the point is, we won't turn back to God. Each worldview after worldview is just an indictment on our culture saying we don't want to go back to God. Because when you look at God, he has these standards that sometimes we don't like. He has these morals that sometimes are opposed to our own sensibilities, our own emotions, our own hopes. And because of that, cultures have difficult times surrendering to God. If you go back to Jesus' time during his teaching, it wasn't Jesus' miracles that they rejected. They rejected Jesus' words. Think about it. Jesus Christ did not die because of the miracles or the healings or the bread or the fish sandwiches. Jesus didn't die because of that. Jesus died because they rejected the word of the Lord. And what we're going over the next year are basically the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus' words challenge us. They challenge me. And the truth is they will challenge you 
every single day of your life. The one we all know when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, we, we talk about this one phrase, if someone smacks you on the right cheek, you what? Turn the other. And I am currently six foot four, about 240 pounds. And um, if someone smacked me on the cheek, I'd love to say, ah, I turned the other cheek willingly, right? But my hope and prayer is what? That nobody ever, ever, ever smacks me on the cheek, right? I'm praying that, that, that lead me not into temptation, Lord. <laughs> no, God, I don't want to go through that. But we find every day we're faced with those turning the other cheek scenarios where we have to humble ourselves and keep loving. And that is a perspective that our bodies, our flesh, our culture is opposed to. So my hope today as you hear the teachings of Jesus, understand the words that Jesus said were rejected. And because they were rejected, they themselves found themselves rejected by God. So if you can't open your Bible to Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, I got a quote by Martin Luther, and he said this, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of this world. I understand today that the Vikings and the Packers play, and I want to try to get you out of here as soon as humanly possible. My hope is that when the game starts, when the kickoff happens, you're sitting down in your seat saying, go Vikings. I'm glad Jared today was very subtle with his support for the Packers. Jared, wherever you are, I did see your shoes. I did see your shoes, Jared. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Somebody even came with a Broncos shirt on. I can't believe that. At least you didn't wear the Bears, so we're still cool today. There's some Steeler fans out there. You were, you know, you were, you were, you were sanctified today. You didn't wear a Steelers outfit. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> so we're going to jump into a, a text that if you don't understand this context, you can make it say whatever you wanted to say. It's really interesting. We go through the book of Matthew. I always say Matthew is written to Jews, and it is. Matthew talks about the teachings of Jesus, and it does. Matthew was a tax collector. Most scholars believe he wrote in shorthand. That's why he was able to get so much information in his gospel. But you have to understand, all of the gospels, all of the letters and stories of the Bible had a point. It was written to a particular audience, and it was trying to say something very specific. Understand that when Moses or Jeremiah or whoever was writing the Bible, they thought that the readers would understand what was being written. It wasn't like they were just writing and, hey, they would, they would figure it out. They, they didn't have that intention at all. They thought, I'm going to write this, and their understanding will be enlightened based upon what I write. But we're going to find something today that is so peculiar. Jesus starts talking in parables. And he started talking in parables so that the hearer would not understand what he was saying. We're going to see if you give us a chance over time. Matthew chapter 1 all the way through 12, Jesus was talking very clearly, very specifically. And what happened was if you go to Matthew chapter 12, they eventually reject Jesus' words. They eventually say, Jesus is what? He, they say, you are possessed by the devil. They say that to Jesus. 
and you're doing his works. And Jesus there, from that point forward, changes how he communicates with the masses. Now, from that point forward, he reveals the truth of the parable to his disciples, but the masses no longer have access to clear insight regarding the kingdom of heaven. From 1 through 12 in Matthew, he's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's doing all this stuff so they clearly see who he is. But this is the part of me that is scary. This is the part of me as a person I am concerned about. Because when I look at the Bible as I was growing up, I thought they just missed it. They just didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. They just didn't understand that Jesus was God, but that's not what the scriptures say at all. The scriptures convey they knew who he was. They knew he was the Messiah, yet they just rejected him. They rejected the kingdom of God. They wanted it for whatever reason for themselves. They said, I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. So they plotted and go to the parables and you'll see over and over again, they understand what he's saying. They understand who he is. They understand his identity, but they just reject Jesus, bottom line. And as a result, they, fall, they find themselves in a cataclysmic situation. Is my mic okay? It sounds like it's fading in and out. Well, Jesus, starting in verse 13, starts talking in parables. And he gives a series of parables from that point forward. He talks about a man sowing seed and how this, the seed falls on different ground. And Jesus then clarifies, this is the parable to know all parables. If you know this parable, then you'll be able to understand the rest. But if you don't know this parable, you won't understand the rest of the parables. And then going on, he starts talking about the kingdom. We talked about that last week. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And we made a distinction last week between the kingdom of God, which is eternal, which has no beginning and no end. Right now, God reigns and rules from his kingdom. It's like a big umbrella, and everything else in reality is under the kingdom of God. But soon and very soon, the kingdom of heaven will come down here on earth. And the kingdom of heaven is very specific. It's stuck in space-time history. The Bible says new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and be firmly planted in Jerusalem. And there Jesus Christ will reign and rule, we know, for a thousand years. And then there will be a new heaven and new earth after the revolt of Satan and those people who reject Jesus again. And then that kingdom will be established and it will eventually span through all reality. And once again, the kingdom of God will be manifested from eternity past eternity future and even in space-time reality. God's kingdom reigns. But today we're going to talk about something very interesting. How important is the kingdom of heaven? And the only reason why this thing makes sense, if you realize there were people who said, I reject it. I want another way. Today is kind of like this. Uh, there's a naturalist who believe that they could live forever. They're trying to devise a mechanism to take the consciousness of humanity, of man, and put it in a robot. That's the way they believe we're going to live forever. Humans are trying to find a way of having eternal life without coming to God. 
Why? Because if we can have eternal life and live the way we want to, doing the things we want to, that will bring us pleasure, they think. But they don't see pleasure and purpose surrendering to God's will. The truth is the one fight that has always been is living forever. Satan said, hey, I want to be like God and live the, the way I want to live forever. And God quickly handled that. And now from Adam until the last person saved before the return of Christ has to ask that question, whether consciously or unconsciously. How do you want to live your life? Because the truth is, right now, as we live on earth, as we surrender to God, the society we live in will become more hostile to us. As we stay faithful, this world will become more agitated and irritated regarding who we really are with. The world has enmity toward God. The world is hostile toward God. Now, we live here in America, and we haven't faced persecution like people are across the planet. As I talked about in the past, about a year and a half, two years ago, I was in Iraq. And I was, or maybe three years ago, I was in Iraq. And while I was in Iraq, I was there being able to witness Jesus Christ. And I was there talking about Jesus with Pastor Dave Gibson and Steve Fitzhugh and a, a lot of other American missionaries. And 40 people came to Christ in Iraq. And they thought this was the beginning of a revival. They said there is nowhere in recorded history this many people come into faith in Jesus Christ in this country. And I'm like, oh Lord, thank you God that I, this humble boy from West Virginia whose country and suburban at the same time could come to Iraq and preach the gospel and start a worldwide revival in the country where Babylon was. But I didn't know that ISIS would come six months later and almost maim and kill all of those people who came to faith in Christ. Only two of them that I know are still alive. We're not facing persecution like that yet. And my prayer is we will never will. There are fine scholars who say clearly that church will never face this type of persecution. I don't know. I'm just trying to say is that persecution is coming. Whether it is the raised eyebrow that person at work gives you because you say you're a Christian. Like, you're a Christian? Right? Or it's literally people trying to take your life because you won't deny Christ. Persecution is coming. Persecution is here. Because the world will not accept Jesus Christ. The world, the system, has rejected Jesus. And our job isn't to go hide, go to Wyoming, or go to West Virginia and buy land and build up this big underground fort, store up water and food, have Patrick cook for us as we go hunt. Like, we're not going to, that's not the plan. The plan is still engage. Let your light shine. The darker it gets, the brighter it's like these lights. Like, I can't see anybody. But the point is, the brighter it is, then hopefully the more people are drawn, drawn to us. Let's jump into Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus has just given a, a parable about how the kingdom of heaven is like a, a woman cooking this bread and leaven has been laid in it and it spreads throughout the whole thing. And most people think, well, wow, yeah, the kingdom of heaven's going to grow. But no, it's trying to say people have tried to corrupt the kingdom of heaven. And eventually it's going to be cleansed. Because remember, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. 
And it says after these two parables, which we're going to talk about today, that the kingdom has like a net and it catches all these different fish and it separates the good ones and the bad ones. Because one day judgment is coming and God is going to clear from the earth all those people who have rejected him. At that point, everybody who is hostile toward God then will find themselves on the wrong side of persecution. At that time, there will be judgment. And those people who are, in a sense, at the top will be at the bottom. And those people who are at the bottom will be at the top. And in verse 44, my Bible reads like this. Yes, yes, yes. The kingdom of heaven, remember, he's not talking about the kingdom of God. He's not talking about just the kingdom, his reign and rule. He's talking about something very specific. God's kingdom, which will come down from heaven here on earth. That's what he's talking about. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, if you understand during these day and times that people would hide their stuff in the ground, sometimes in their house, sometimes out in the field. Now, why would you do that? Because they didn't have bank. They didn't have TCFs. They didn't have Wells Fargo's. Everybody didn't have access to those things. So if I found treasure or something valuable, I would hide it. Now, the problem with that is in these war-torn countries, that was scary, in these war-torn countries that sometimes you would have to flee for your life and you would leave your treasure. And there were people whose job it was to try to look for these treasures. And they, sometimes they'd find it under the houses and sometimes in the field. So understand in this particular, and this, this is like not scary, but it's kind of scary. This particular story here, the individual is actually seeking after treasure. If you don't get that point, you'll miss the point. He's seeking after treasure and he finds treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, not just not happened upon it, it wasn't serendipity. It was really there. He was looking for it. He's like, yes, I found it. What did he do? He hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now, this is weird because this behavior is not necessarily ethical. And this is the problem when you get in the parables. If you try to make every single point of the parable mean something, you'll go off. Because here it's like, oh, Lord, you're trying to teach us to do something that's not right. No. This is the beauty of parables as well. See, I told you there are four parables. But actually there are three if you go back a little. The next parable I'm going to show you, it sounds exactly like it. Listen to this. Again, there's a connection. Again, the thoughts are together. This is actually one long parable in two parts. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking. He's actually searching. This, this is my communication tool to say he's searching. Do you see that? This is, I get credit for this. Oh, he's so innovative. Yeah. Oh, no, no. He, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
people will start saying, oh, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is it's like a pearl. It's like something that's irritated. And over time, it will just become, no, that's not what it's trying to say. Think about it. The last parable, the man was searching. And in this parable, this man is doing the same thing. And when he found one of great value, he what? He went his way and sold everything to buy it, to buy it. So there's continuity between this one and that one. There's repetition between this one and that one. And here lies the point. What is he trying to say? Well, if I were to tell you what it was like to play for the Vikings and lose an important game. I know, Greg, you don't like the Viking analogy, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's from Virginia. He doesn't count anyway. So I would say this. Let me tell you what it's like playing for the Vikings. Imagine walking up a mountain, being two feet away from your goal, your dream. What you've been searching for all your life. Right before you were about to get it, it disappeared. That's the whole thing. That's what it's like being a Viking, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's so cruel. But, 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 but this is the point I'm trying to make. Where in my story was the point? What was it like? In I knew that was coming. What was it like being a Viking? Is this one on? Turn this one on. Hello. Oh, good. It sounds more. All right. What was it like being a Viking? In that, in that little story I gave, where's the one-to-one relationship? Where's the one-to-one connection? It's not necessarily that it's the fact that what was there is gone. It wasn't the fact that I went up a hill. The fact was the emotion I had because I was disappointed. Does everybody get that? I was, I was going up a hill. I had a desire. I had a goal. That's what it's like being a, a Viking? No. The, the point is I was heartbroken right before I got the goal. And what I was communicating to you was, what is it like being a Viking? It's like, it's like being hurt or disappointed because you, you can't achieve your goal. Now, that's totally a joke. That's not true. It's great being a Vikings fan. But nevertheless, this is the point I'm trying to say here. This is what Jesus is trying to say in both of the analogies, of the parables. He's trying to say the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like something that is so valuable that you would give everything that you have to get it. He's trying to say the kingdom of heaven is worth all that you are. There's, there's nothing that you could give up to have access to God's kingdom. He's like, in both of these stories, both individuals gave up everything for what they thought was valuable. Remember, Jesus had just been rejected. The people thought that God's kingdom was not valuable. And Jesus is trying to make the point, oh, it's immeasurably valuable. Matter of fact, it's priceless. It's worth everything. It's worth your life. How do we know Jesus is saying that? Because he gave up his life so that we can have 
the kingdom of heaven. But the problem is people don't live like that. We don't live like the kingdom of heaven is everything. I, that's a phrase people say now, this is everything. And they show somebody like kissing somebody. Like, that's every, No, the kingdom of heaven is everything. Do you believe that? He's trying to convince them how valuable God's kingdom is. We saw the video earlier about the little girl and the parents are trying to make the girl feel good and happy about the toy. Look, we fought hard, baby, to get you this $500 train and she liked the box. Okay, baby, we got you this stuffed animal. It's exclusive. It was the, only, it was the last one left and she liked the box. But the fact that they figured out, oh, she likes the box. That is priceless. And what Jesus is trying to tell us, look, there's a lot of distractions here on earth that could get your attention, divert it away from God. But God's kingdom and having access to it is priceless. That's what he's trying to communicate in these two parables. Let's jump into a couple points and we're done for the day. The kingdom of God is more valuable than all we have. And, and I made the point to say the kingdom of God because eventually everything in the kingdom of heaven will be given back to the Father and everything will be the kingdom of God. But the point is, access to this kingdom is more valuable than our lives. It's, it's more valuable than everything we own. It's almost like if you get a new house and you love that house. You're like, oh, this house makes me feel like I've made it. I feel so good. Or it's like when you pay for that house, it's paid off. You're like, oh, the bed feels a little softer today because the house is paid for, right? It's more valuable than that experience. There's no experience you could have that is more valuable than getting in to God's kingdom. Next point, it's possible that we have overvalued what we have here on earth. You know, sometimes I think we, we miscalculate what's important. We're going to be with Jesus forever. We're going to be with Jesus forever. And he died so that we could be with him forever. It's not a light thing that our, our God died for us. Like, how important is that? How important is that really to you? And if you say, well, it's kind of important, then what's more important? What, what truly is more than the fact that God died for you? His son went on the cross and gave his life so that you could have life eternal. What is more important than that? And how I think life is that, you know what, Lord, right now, I, I know that's important, but right now, you know what, I'm just being honest, it's not that important to me. It's not as important as it should be. Help me, Lord, make that the most important thing of my life. And I think if you're honest and courageous enough to pray that prayer, you will get there. Because it's your responsibility to keep Jesus on the throne of your heart. And if he's not the most important thing, then you have to engage in the fight to keep him there. That's why here at this church we ask you, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying, fasting? Are you meditating on scripture? Some people say, I don't have to go to church every day. I, I hear you. you don't, it, that's up to you. I know the Bible says don't forsake the sibling together the manner of some is, but encouraging one. I know the, the scripture encourages you to stay close to other believers because 
The hope is they will encourage you to stay faithful, to fall in love with Jesus. And if right now you're not thankful because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, then you have to go and reevaluate. Why isn't this important? Why am I apathetic to what God has done for me? Why don't I love God the way he loves me? Why is my love for God waning? Trust Jesus' word that admittance into God's kingdom is more important than all we own. Here's not about trusting me or a church. It's about trusting Jesus' words. He's trying to tell you admittance into God's kingdom is priceless. Because the very next parable, he talks about judgment. And that's what you want to avoid. That's the part that makes the gospel so important. Not the fact that Jesus just died, but the fact that now we are in Christ. We've escaped judgment because judgment is coming for the world. And that's not something people want to hear. People today said, only God can judge me. I'm like, you don't want that, bro. You don't want God. To do. The Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of a living God. The Bible said that's not good. That's the worst case scenario. God is going to judge. And at that point, you're going to expect him to be merciful. Now is a time of mercy. Now is a time of grace. Come to God while you have time. Because that door isn't always open. I always say that's the story of Noah and the ark. Noah preached every year. He was building an ark. That judgment is coming. And then one day, that door closed. And there was no more grace. There was judgment. There were people outside of the ark saying, let me in, let me in. And Noah was saying, what? Not by the hair of my chitty chitty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do it. I had to make it light. I know that was horrible. My wife's not here. They're sick. It's okay. So I'll be okay. I won't hear about it again. <laughs> Next point. Trust Jesus. Why? So you will make the proper appraisal of heaven's worth to you. I'm not an appraiser. <laughs> Honestly, you probably talked to Jared about that. I don't know how to appraise the value of something. What's the value of your house? I remember one time I was trying to buy a house and I got the loan. And uh, the loan was, I don't know what the number was, but it was a, it was a high number. And um, after the bank appraised the house, they rejected it because the house isn't worth the loan. And I was thankful that they did that because the house was like falling apart as we actually did more detailed search. But thank goodness for the appraiser. Have you appraised the kingdom of heaven? Have you appraised its value? Do you know how valuable God's kingdom is? And if so, have you given it the right appraisal? It's more valuable than you could ever imagine. We get so caught up in our own lives, and I understand that. We, we, we live and see and we fill out of these bodies and we think that's all there is. But don't you see how amazing God is? He says, I'm coming in you. You'll never be alone. That's like background music in. I'm going in you. Think about it. Currently, right now, we are the most alone we will ever be until you're saved. And then once you're saved, you have a man who lives inside of you. Think about it. A man lives in you if you're a Christian. Now, the problem is you don't know his voice. 
You don't know his ways. And you think he's not really in there. But he's constantly knocking on the door. He said, I'm here. Listen to me. He's going to be with you forever. You're no longer alone. God is in the temple of your heart and will reside there for all eternity. And that is just the down pain with the scripture says of what's to come. When we talk about Jesus' teaching, he's telling you what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is made up of people who will turn their other cheek. Now, hopefully they'll never have to turn another cheek, but understand that's the quality of character they have. The kingdom of heaven is filled with humble people, poor in heart, merciful people, peacemakers. These people constitute the makeup of the kingdom that will last for all eternity. And the one thing that will be true of everybody there is that they are madly in love with the king of that kingdom. Jesus is the way into God's kingdom. There's no other way. I know you, we have problems. I'm with you. I got problems. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I still have issues. I'm still wrestling with things and I will all my life. I made a mistake yesterday. I'll make a mistake today. I'll make a mistake tomorrow, but I'm still trying to follow the Lord. My hope for you is that you will praise how important it is to get inside God's kingdom and whatever's hindering you, if it's Netflix, get rid of it. If it's the internet, get rid of it. If it's the Vikings, get rid of it. Oh, if it's the Bears, you know you better get rid of it. <laughs> Packers, I'm like, well, talk to you. No, Denver, come on, bro. Come on. If it's the love of your kids, you need to deal. If it's the love of your own life, you need to deal with it because nothing is more important than the kingdom of God. Jesus died and he ratified that point. Remember, I love this part. We're done. I don't care how hard you appraise, how high value you give it, you always under appraise undervalue heaven you'll never get it it's worth more it's worth more you know when you're a little kid you always say okay I'm gonna do that infinity right infinity meant like I got it it's all infinity plus oh my gosh there's no number bigger than that it's not enough there's no number that exists that will give you the proper value of heaven. The problem is we doubt Jesus' words. Sometimes we don't think it's worth giving our all. Think about it. Jesus Christ died for you. And if there's not a gratitude there, you need to take that to God and say, Lord, I don't appreciate you the way I should. And that's okay. He can deal with that honesty. But you got to be honest with the Lord. How valuable is this treasure, Jesus Christ, to you? 
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Oh, consuming fire.